KDBU View podcast. This is episode 12 of season 3. And if it sounds a bit different, it's because... And he's not at home, he's not at home. Yes, for me, it's Sunday afternoon and I'm currently making my way, slowly, uh, very cautiously, up Wembley Way. Uh, actually, formerly called Olympic Way. Uh, approaching Wembley Stadium. If you haven't worked it out yet... I'm on my way to the Euro 2020 final between England and Italy and I am so excited that my knees have definitely gone all trembly. Now this has got absolutely nothing to do with who we've got on the podcast episode today but frankly who cares? I'm here and who knows something very special might happen here tonight so what better place to introduce today's show? It is, I must say, absolute carnage here. It's only, what, uh, quarter past four in the afternoon Kickoff is at eight, but there are already thousands and thousands of people here, and there are many in the crowd that are already, quite frankly, just completely gone. Uh, I've been dodging bottles, cans, traffic cones, flying through the air all the way along here. Already seen a couple of people getting patched up by paramedics. Uh, believe it or not, though, it's actually all pretty good natured, but I think there's no question it's getting pretty intimidating. So I'm looking forward to getting inside. So here I am in the stadium and it's just incredible. The atmosphere is amazing and on three sides here there's just a sea of red and white. There's a real crackle of anticipation in the air. Uh, The Italians in the far stand are obviously completely outnumbered but they're making as much noise as they can too so fair play to them. I must say actually that I'm very lucky to be here as a guest of one of the tournament's sponsors, Hisense. So a very public thank you to them for this golden ticket kickoff is uh, is any minute now so let's get the actual episode started we've got a couple of really interesting guests the first is john wallace he's from retailer wc1 and he's actually my local kbb retailer just down the road from me in an area called shortlands just outside of bromley i went to actually see him in person can you believe that and we're talking about what lockdowns meant for him and what comes next for someone who is the typical in the best possible sense of the word independent kbb retailer Then we're meeting John Pickering, he's the head of Miele in the UK, and we'll see what he thinks about supply issues, online pricing, and what comes next for the kitchen studio market. And he's actually really candid about it too, so definitely don't miss that one. Right, let's get going, and I'll see you at half-time. So, John, thank you for sparing us a little bit of time here today. As I say, I'm doing the rounds of uh, of my local retailers, and you're very much one of them. Tell us a little bit about the company. Give us the story. Yeah, well, my dad started the business, I believe, 34 years ago now. It was never his intention to have his son working with him within the company. Mm-hmm. He always used to say that you you never want to come and work with me, which at the time uh, I had no interest in it. But things changed in my life. And then when I hit 19, I didn't have the opportunity to go and, and get a job that I perhaps wanted to. So he asked me to come and help out and I helped out. Just delivering around the showroom, bits and bobs, and then started to get the bug for, for business. And he always wanted me to, to take over eventually. And then it just went from there and grew. And then my dad has only recently retired, sort of partly staying involved with, with finances, but just decided to leave it to me. And, and yeah, I thoroughly enjoy it. So let's just describe the setup here. You have two showrooms, don't you? Yes. You have one in Blackheath 
uh-huh. one here. Mm-hmm. And the Blackheath was the first one, wasn't it? Uh, Bexley was first. Bexley, uh, right. Bexley in 88. And then Blackheath came shortly after that. And then Bexley ended. Blackheath has been there since, yeah, good 20, 28 years now. So this location here was a previous business, wasn't it? Yep. That was bathrooms only, though, wasn't bathrooms it? Bathrooms only, yes. Yeah, yeah, correct. So when did you take over this location? So it was uh, just over three years ago. Uh, we had a showroom in uh, Shad Thames, in addition to Blackheath at the time. Tried the area out, which worked well for us, for a small little pocket of properties that were due for renewal. But we found a, a better opportunity over uh, at Rickson & Green when, when the owner approached us and said that he was selling. So we decided to take up the opportunity and, and, and take over the premises. We didn't take over the company. And since then, we've, we've closed the showroom in Shed Thames and, and feel far more comfortable with two mainstream showrooms that are bigger and business is, is comfortable for us. It's manageable with six employees with a warehouse down in, in Kent. So all our main deliveries go into there. And then the showrooms fulfill the orders from the two sort of good pockets. So talk to me about the name, because the name clearly implies bathrooms. Yes. So what's the, what's the origin of the name? Because you do everything. You do bathrooms and kitchens and yeah. everything else. So we started out doing bathrooms only at the time, from, from my memory, from discussing it with my dad. WC obviously stands for water closet and one just popped in his mind uh, one day in, in his back shed where he started the business and, uh, and never looked back really. And people always do comment on the name and mm. it does stick. But it was always hard to come away from that when kitchens were, were introduced to us probably six years into business with him. But it was a name that stuck and the branding was quite prominent with the colours and we've just stuck with it ever since. Now tell us about this area because we are sort of halfway between Beckenham and Bromley aren't we this, this yes. Shortlands area so tell us a bit about the area and the sort of typical customers that you have around here yeah well um, me sort of coming into the business in Blackheath learned how how the areas were because I never knew the sort of London areas from where I grew up or was based but from Blackheath coming out to sort of Bromley area it does get a different type of client it's still on the main routes into town but the area seems to to have a lot of, of property that people have the chance to grow, um, invest. Um, and we feel that we've got a lot of business through people increasing their property size. The area, there's little good pockets in and around us that have worked really well. But generally, the order value tends to be a little bit higher over here, whether people have got more disposable income. The average age from comparing to Blackheath to Beckenham seems similar, but perhaps People in Blackheath may pay a little bit more for their property. They may pay uh, sort of school fees for young children, their younger families generally. But you move out to this part of North Kent, or South London, then you tend to get people that are their forever homes. And commuting is still good. Schools are great. The area's lovely. So uh, Well, I agree, of course. Mm. But you, you want a really nice little... Sp- sort of parade of shops here yes. as well. And there's lots yes. of sort of little independent businesses here. There's a big fireplace shop down the way mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And there's a sort of Famous. haberdashers kind of thing down yeah, there, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. And so it's a really nice little row of, of sort of independent businesses. Um, I mean, and I mean this in the most complimentary way, but I think it's, that's a very sort of typical independent kitchen, bathroom, mm. showroom setup there. Let's get down to brass tacks. How is business for you at the moment? Yeah, we're hopefully, fingers crossed, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks' time, get the full unlock. How is business right now? Yeah, I think we would turn the clock back to... The beginning of, of last year, no one knew what would, would, would happen. I think we had some time to, to sit back and evaluate where we needed to go. But since 
the first lockdown eased, business started to, to continue where it was before that. Uh, and since we took over this showroom, business was, was healthy. You'd always like, like any retailer would say, you'd always like more business. But we haven't seen it slow down. It, it's probably more sort of increased since the beginning of this year. And uh, even with a, a second lockdown, we thought it may take a turn. But because we were able to still deliver to construction sites and we were still able to, to carry out installations, business has continued. And since sort of February, March, business has grown and we don't see any chance of it slowing up. We're fully booked now from an installation point of view up to December, which is yeah. great. It's good to have the balance of supply, but also supply and install. So for us, business is, is as good as it was before. I mean, was great. there a moment there in that first lockdown where you really thought, oh God, this is going to go south here? You haven't been here very long, really, in the grand no, scheme of things. No. And there must have been a point where you just thought, oh no, this is, this is not going to work out well for us. Yeah, we'd only been here 12 months and we'd invested a lot of money into the showroom, but felt that we got it to a level that, that would be sustainable from a business point of view. Uh, and yeah, my dad and I live locally and we would walk the dogs together and, and chat and talk business and what we need to do. And we made some sensible decisions with regards to obviously furloughing everybody. Showrooms were closed and made some cuts where we needed to financially and just managed the books well just to get us through the couple of months. I think the, what the government have done with, with grants and furlough schemes has certainly helped businesses like us because we're... Different to the cafes, the bars, we can still manage a certain amount of business working remotely. But with, yeah, our full closure, it was certainly concerning times. But as soon as we, we opened the doors again and the phones were ringing, people were living in their properties and, and deciding that if they're not going to go away on holiday, then they'd want to invest in, in a bathroom or kitchen or, or, or sort of house renovation, really. Yeah, I think this industry's been very sheltered really in mm. so many ways I and mean, as you say even on this row here there's cafes and there's yeah. you know, things that must have, must have really struggled yeah so if we're coming to the end of this whole experience now which hopefully fingers crossed we are what are the actual challenges that you are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis if it is not that what are your biggest challenges yeah i think any retailer would agree the internet is a double-headed sword it's it's great on one side of things being able to to offer your sales online being found online being able to promote projects you're doing to get a good rapport but on the flip side it's extremely competitive market and we speak to suppliers on a, on a regular basis about being challenged with internet prices I think that's always a challenge and, and always will be I think a lot of the damage is done and it's just for retailers like us to stay strong and back the product back the brands but we still need a level of support from them we need exclusivity to help us educate consumers, really. I think it's it, it's not about supplying bathroom products or kitchen products. People come in to see us. They need advice. They need help. They need us to configure the, the room, and they need a professional outfit that would supply and install a, a quality kitchen or bathroom to a standard that we'd expect. And do you think the consumer has changed in any way through the lockdown in the way that they do that research and they do sort of wave those prices at you? Because they've got so much more time to do it now. Well, yeah, I think, again, it, there's pros and cons to it both. I think people perhaps are more reluctant to buy online in certain ways. Is it going to arrive? Is it going to be delayed? Are there going to be extra fees involved? Or is, is the company that they're dealing with online not going to be around? But on the flip side, again, is... They've got time to search around, find a professional 
that they'd want to, to deal with, have a look at their website, perhaps get a relationship built up over emails, and then try and build up the, the trust that way. So again, I think it is a good thing that, that the internet is there for us, but at the same time, it, it's difficult. And what about the sort of logistics of those supply from your brands here at mm. the moment? Is that is that getting better? As everyone did, had a lot of problems yeah. getting stuff amazing. Yeah, we we were made aware that to expect some delays with manufacturing. Obviously, COVID had an effect on factories and production with different lockdown reasons. So there has been a slight delay. But I think what we've now discovered is there's more of a struggle with demand because the market is growing rapidly. Mm. I don't think suppliers can keep up with the production. So I think that's probably what's called us out a little bit is the sheer demand for special finishes and it might be on a four-week lead time which is now more like a 12-week lead time so right. it's it's trying to meet those expectations with the client but now what what's coming into to the market is is the cost of materials not only from a installation point of view but still prices have gone um, through the roof but also the demand the delays so i think it will still have an effect on production delays components, materials, to make it a little bit more difficult to fulfil a project within a reasonable time frame. I guess it must help a little bit if you have that warehouse space, though, does it? Because can you, can you sort of stock up a little bit yes, to, yes. of the most common? Yeah, we would always stock the sort of more urgent items, so, so first fix items. But because there is such a vast variety of products that yeah. suit a concealed part, the demand for special finishes is certainly something that we, or most retailers, would probably stock because of the uniqueness there. And that's always something that we would order in. Yes, the warehouse is there to, to get an order in early enough, not have any delays from that point of view. But we, we are all still governed by lead time on made-to-order furniture or, or brassware. I mean, it's now July. You've got jobs booked up to December. Yeah. Is, is it just the number of fitters that you have or is it what, what? it's a combination I think yeah. um, as I said this this initial lockdown people were still planning um, we came back and had a record march because all the planning was done and people were committing so early on but we've got five to six teams that work directly with us and a single job would take two to three weeks at a time but we've had multiple orders so people may have ensuite bathroom and a cloakroom which could wipe a single installer out for for six to eight weeks mm. so it's it's great that we've got a full schedule uh, of bookings but at the same time what our business thrives on is offering that supply and installation service and if if that extends any further then it may affect new sales so it would be good for us to get a slightly better balance on supply only versus supply and install but at the end of the day it's hard to, to come by is trusted there, installers. Is there a moment where you have to tell Mr and Mrs Smith that they're not going to get that kitchen or bathroom until December where the eyebrows go up and they just can't quite believe it? Yeah, I think it's always best to be upfront and honest as early as possible and to not avoid any sort of missed expectations, I think. Yeah. I think it's best to, to work with them, be honest, and then explain that the process from design to completion from an order is probably six to eight weeks. So we're willing to sort of take some holding deposits to, to book some dates and work towards them. But if you look at a combination of planning, delivery of products, 
you're not too far away from a sort of four four month period. So yeah. it's not too further on than we'd expect. Are you doing like a by appointment only type system here, or are you just letting them? Uh, no, them people are welcome to wander in. Yeah. But what's been been apparent is people look to to call up to make sure we're open as normal and perhaps manage the amount of people in the showroom at a time. So it's quite good to to manage our time from an appointment point of view, but people are welcome to come in. As you say, you've been involved in this business since you were 19. You've mm. Obviously, you're, your dad is still heavily involved in it, uh, if, if only in a semi-retired kind of way. What do you think you've learned about running the business in the last you know, 18 months? Mm. What do you think has it taught you? I always, because it's a family business, I knew the ins and outs right the way through, from ordering finances, accounts, dealing with clients, dealing with installation. But I've always thrived on having that responsibility and nothing gives you more pleasure than successfully supplying and installing a project with a happy customer at the end. But I think it's it's the responsibility. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's yours. You've got to deal with it to either resolve an issue or continue and, and fulfil an order. So, yeah, I think it's it's not been a learning curve just in the eight, last 18 months. It's been a learning curve ever since I've started. And thankfully, I, I learned a hell of a lot in a fairly short period and got myself to a, a level where I was where I was comfortable for him to take a vaccine. I suppose it's crisis management, isn't it? And crisis management is one of those things that until you're in a crisis, mm. you don't really know what you're going to do or what's no. going to happen. No. But I think sometimes when people manage a crisis, they come out the other end of it having learned things that they will then take forward into the rest of the business there. So is there anything that you thought or that you did in, in, in an emergency that you've now mm. thought, no, we're going to carry on doing that because that was... Yeah, I think it was perhaps at the right time where he was still heavily involved and has passed on his grey hairs, as he would say. Mm. If I was on my own in, in this crisis, then I would have needed some, some help and uh, some advice. Thankfully, he was there and, and we, as I said, we made some tweaks to certain things. We tightened the ship and since then it, it's been managed well but if we do have a, another crisis or something uh, similar to this then I'm sure he would still be there at the end of the phone but equally I know the routes to take if if it's needed again really. It's funny isn't it? when you have a long period of, of, of nothing really going wrong or nothing happening and it's all very comfortable and over growth but then you have this crisis and the, the previous one was like a financial crash you mm. know what 2008 mm. whatever that was I think you do sort of harden your skin a little bit through those experiences, don't you? And perhaps you are a little more, where is the wrong word, but you might not be quite so gung-ho about leaping yeah. into something just in case something might go wrong. You mm. might be a little bit more cautious that will, mm-hmm. sort of just in case, let's make sure we don't gamble everything on this mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the things that a lot of people have learned from this is... Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think you've got to manage... Cautious optimism. Yes, exactly. And, and one of your biggest investments is displays, and that's an ongoing investment. Uh, none of the product is is free. It it all costs money, and and we budget ourselves uh, an allocation per month per showroom, but we certainly eased off of what we were investing in. But now now things have eased. We we need to keep our level as high as we possibly can to meet with the client expectations. But it's just carefully selecting how much you invest and when from a financial point of view. Well, let's let's delve into that a little bit with the, what happens next. So, from a company point of view, what plans do you have to just to take forward in the next couple of years? 
Yeah, well, I think it's certainly getting through these times is to continue with the level of business we've we've got at the moment to grow uh, our installation service, whereby it might be a, a, a maintenance side of things because that is a consuming part of install and to try and collate more installers to bring our lead time down. But we're always keeping our eye open for, for investments either in, in, in property or another showroom. We're never, never going to sit still. But yeah, it's just looking for that next opportunity. Now my dad's took a step back. It's do I have the time to look at another showroom independently for me because I, I run the installations but also the sales from here, installations from both showrooms. So it's, it's to manage my time. Uh, as best I can but we're always looking for that opportunity to, to invest in. And what do you think about you know, the market in general in the next couple of years? You've obviously just gone through a massive upheaval. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen in the next two or three years? I see it steadily growing again to getting back to where it was. Before COVID the internet was always an issue but I think do people want to go into to an independent and trust them more knowing that the job's going to be done uh, correctly but then I think it, it's going to steadily grow at the level that we're at I think people value the, the quality and the professional sort of design and knowledge that, that a, an independent retailer would, would give them and I think we can get back to a, a steady um, stream of business that can continue forward and then I suppose it's a, a lottery as to, to what happens next what the next uh, crisis is yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, look, John, that's a fantastic place to end. Thank you so much. You've got a beautiful showroom here. And Thank it's you. really such an interesting business. Uh, so I wish you all the best for what comes next. Thank you very much. Well, that was John Wallace from WC1. A huge thanks to him. It's half time here. England are 1-0 up, holding that lead since the second or third minute. And I think for the first half hour, we were in charge. But the Italians really started to dominate in the last 10 minutes or so. So it's all pretty nervy here. Of course, by the time you hear this bit, you'll know the final result. But here and now, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm getting some bad vibes. But let's move on to the next interview instead. It might just settle the nerves. Let's talk now about one of the most well-known brands in the built-in appliance sector, and that's Miele. Let's find out how it's been doing during the lockdown and what its plans for the future are with the UK and Ireland Managing Director, John Pickering. Hello, John. Hi, Andrew. Good afternoon. Nice to talk to you. You too, sir. Now, I should point out, actually, that I've done you a bit of a disservice there already, because not only do you look after the UK and Ireland, but rather randomly... I th- you forgot South Africa. <laughs> you, Yes, yeah, you also look after South Africa, don't you? Yeah, no, very lucky, very privileged. It's always a bit odd. It's the same time zone, I suppose. It is indeed, yeah. There are a lot of similarities and some pretty major differences, but probably one for another day. I'm assuming that usually in the, in the normal world that the most pressing urgent business that requires your face-to-face attention in South Africa is usually when it's very cold and wet in the UK and Ireland, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. And a visit's required, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's something going on in that Joburg office in November. <laughs> so look, you're obviously a very busy man. So thank you for taking some time out for us today. Now, everyone knows Miele as a brand, obviously, but can you give us an idea of the reach it has in independent kitchen retail terms? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, the business in kitchen retail has been a priority for us for, or since the inception of the business 30 years ago, and particularly in the last 10, Andrew, where we brought the, I guess, the premium nature and the experiential nature of Miele to our consumers using our, um, our kitchen category. So we play nationally with the, with the premium partners in, in independent kitchen retail, 
and it's a critical part of our business and a and a focus for us as well going forward. So you'll you'll see, you'll continue to see investment in this area uh, for the foreseeable future. So I mean, like I say, big brand, yeah, one of the big the big German appliance brands that everybody at some point has has some dealings with, I'm sure. So look, we're heading into hopefully the end of the lockdown. So how is business for you here and now? So business is very strong. It's very strong, and that is building. And I think that's testament to two things. Again, some of it is is the category and our, our fantastic partners who are kicking back in, if you like, with economic and, and category growth as the consumers continue to to buy into the category to to uh, invest in their their homes in particular. And also for Mila, not just in GB in Ireland and South Africa, but Mila globally, what we found during lockdown is that consumers turn to brands they trust. And our reputation, more than 120 years in business of building that premium, high quality craftsmanship is continuing to play out. So actually what we're seeing in the cluster I'm responsible for is representative actually of Mila globally. And we're in, we're in a good position and the business is very strong. Yeah, I guess you'd always made a huge play in your branding and your marketing for that cooking expertise. And I guess when everyone's at home making sourdough bread or whatever, then that's when all that marketing kind of pays off, isn't it? It does. And actually, if you think back, I think the last year for many of us is a bit of a blur, but our last launch of the Generation 7000 products, which was done in more than 18 months ago now, who'd have thought it, brings all of that to the forefront with technology, the biggest launch in the history of Miele. And actually what we're seeing now is we're seeing all of that innovation and all the resource and investment and the partnership that we put in place, replacing every one of the displays up and down the UK with our kitchen partners really coming to fruition and on the back of some strong consumer trends. And, and also for us on the back of a campaign we're calling Quality Ahead of Its Time, which reinforces that craftsmanship, the performance and the sustainability, which is an increasing angle for all of us in this industry. Now, you've just opened up, uh, which is kind of the reason why you're here today, you've, you've just opened up a new experience centre in Edinburgh, which looks fantastic. I can't wait to see it in Thank person. You. So why there and why now? I guess why there? Because actually we have uh, historically, and we will do going forward, look at targeted areas of the country where we're not represented, where we believe we can not only have our own, I guess, direct-to-consumer retail model, but we can support the partners that are there. And we found property in a location in Edinburgh, which fitted a number of criteria, both internally and, and against the, those criteria that I just shared with you as well, not least of which are the 80 or so KRT partners that we have in the north and Scotland, who did not, prior to that, have a dedicated Miele hub. So it allows them to work with us to really improve product knowledge, to put in place a referral system so that they have confidence to work with us as well. And we build really close relationships with those trade partners so we can support them with things like chef's tables um, and cooking events. So it becomes really experiential and it can really help engage not just the brand, but our partners, but also customers, existing customers and the customers of the future. Yeah, it's interesting because there's one just off uh, Wigmore Street down in, in central London. Indeed, yeah. And then, of course, there's the Experience Centre in Abingdon where your, um, where your offices are. It's really interesting, I think, that you've opened this up and they're called Experience Centres because the idea of experience, I think, now more than ever is so important, isn't it? Because we've experienced very little other than misery in the last 18 months or so. <laughs> it is. It, you know, reta- listen, these, these, these retail outlets for any of us um, in this fantastic category we work in have to be viable. But fundamentally, they have to be far more than that. And they have to be far more than that for the most premium appliance brand in the sector because they have to provide points of connection, brand awareness, as you say, creativity, 
relationship building. And, and just as in Wigmore Street, Wigmore Street has given us a role model for how we will look to work with our kitchen retailers going forward. And you will see more of these experience centres and these these types of initiatives opening up in future years. But watch this space. Yeah. Oh, should we have a bit of a sweepstake on where the next one's going to be? <laughs> we could do. Dublin or Johannesburg. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say Manchester, but that's just doing a cliche there. All right, look, let's talk about a little bit of an elephant in the room. And that's the sort of ongoing supply issues that all major appliance brands are having. What's your current status in terms of meeting orders, lead times, logistics, etc.? Where's Mila up to with all this? Yeah, it, you're right. We're not we're not the only one impacted, which is you know I don't say with with any great glee. Many industries have experienced component shortages and and increased demand as well. Where we've been fortunate is actually in in our own factory productivity has remained high, apart from a, a few instances again, which you know have been have been well publicised. The situation's much improved, but we are still impacted. It's been difficult for everyone, and I guess our strong advice to our partners out there is to order appliances at the same time as furniture, which is as soon as possible, because we do still have some backlogs, although they are improving. I guess what we're getting as we're coming to 15 months or so through managing this crisis is getting less uncertainty, if you like, or more certainty on on what is manageable and what we can receive going forward. So I think you've got two things going on. One is, yes, component shortages and COVID, but the second is the significant demand for Miele products worldwide, which has provided some issues in in recent months and i think there'll be a few more to manage going forward yeah i mean what's your estimate for when we might get back to some kind of normality with these kind of things well i think there's there's probably a couple of things at play there aren't there we believe the situation will improve in the year to go and that is linked to by the way continuation in consumer and customer buying habits so the category performance as well as our own performances within the market as well so actually, we, we do believe things will improve, but there's a couple of big variables out there, <laughs> which which we need to continue to manage well. Yes. And as you say, you are not obviously not the only brand facing all those issues. Speaking very generally, I think one of the biggest complaints from retailers, and again, this was aimed at all the major brands, is that communication was the issue, particularly in that first lockdown. And, and I think most retailers are very sympathetic about what's causing the delays. But for many different reasons, the brands have struggled to keep the information flowing. Is that a fair assessment, do you think? I think it's absolutely fair from what I have seen. And that's not labelling criticism at anybody else other than what I know about what we've been able to communicate, Andrew, which is we, we haven't always had the necessary clarity that we would like to give our customers as we've gone through the last 12, 15 months. And we take that very seriously, honestly, and we commit to, to trying to do an even better job. Um, I can't talk about anybody else. And actually, a lot of us are managing similar situations. But fundamentally, there has to be a better job we can do at managing this information. And I really would like to say thank you and respect the, I guess, the patience that our partners have had when we haven't been able to deliver. You know, it's, uh, it, it doesn't get taken for granted. And our job is to try and improve that communication wherever we can. Now, Meal is a big brand, as we say. And one of the things that's interesting about it is it covers many different product categories. So there's the built-in stuff, obviously, that we're talking about here. But obviously, you also do lots of freestanding appliances. You do floor care. You do lots and lots of small appliances, too. Where in all that, from your perspective, do those independent kitchen retailers sit in terms of, I don't know, importance is probably the wrong word, but in terms of the amount of time you need to manage that sector? I guess, do we think about it in terms of the amount of time we take to manage the sector is actually something that we're maintaining. So we believe kitchen retail and independent kitchen retail is the backbone of our business and will be going forward. I said that at the beginning of our our interview. 
But interestingly, what we see is we the business in freestanding outside of built-in is often complementary. And some of our best relationships with kitchen retailers are where that business, as I say, is, is a, an important constituent part of their core business as well. So increasingly, products like Triflex, um, which is you know, a witch-recommended cordless vacuum, is often actually sold as an additional product as part of a kitchen or a utility package, as an example, as maybe laundry products would be. So actually, we, you know, we find that many of the freestanding products and, and actually freestanding coffee machines, you know, we, again, we won't be unique in terms of the increase in the growth rate of the freestanding coffee machine sector in the last 18 months. And these type of products, as well as built in, can give more flexibility and versatility for where they're placed in homes, maybe in separate offices or at the bottom of the garden in the shed, depending on where we're working, you know. I mean, I guess one of the big differences there, though, is that obviously online is a big part of your business and freestanding floor care, small appliances in particular, I'm sure, obviously an enormous volume comes through the through, through the online channel. But for built in, it's still a very politically sensitive area, isn't it, when it comes mm. to your showroom retailers? So what's your assessment of of where Miele are in terms of its policies to tackle that issue? Because I think you've always been very proactive with it. Yeah, I if we say we have to tackle an issue, it sounds like it's uh, overwhelmingly negative, which I don't get that sense. It is one we need to manage sensitively. And I don't believe having a, a viable direct business, which, which, by the way, in the last 15 months has been essential for us to operate and find a way of getting our products to our customers. I don't feel that has to be in conflict with the support for a sector that, as I say, is actually only increasing um, as we made it a, a strategic priority. And actually, the experiential element of how our customers connect with our products and the training that we offer and the fantastic quality of advice that independent kitchen retail gives to potential customers is such an important piece. It has to live um, in partnership. You know, and there will, be, there will be elements of that we have to manage, uh, as with any other retail. But there is no reason why it can't work well as long as we're prepared to work together. Right. So are you saying then you, you are going to continue to pursue direct sales with some of these big built-in appliances direct sales will be an important part of our business going forward but it won't be the number one priority over and above as i've said independent kitchen retail andrew independent kitchen retail is a critical part of our business strategy going forward for the experience that we give our customers the training uh, the product breadth the premium nature of our brand and reinforcing those elements of craftsmanship performance and sustainability that is a very sensitive issue when it comes to showroom retailers particularly if, if they've got display deals or whatever people can buy direct from Miele. yes and, and that won't change i mean our, our direct business is here to stay our job is to make sure it's a manageable partnership right okay well look let's just say you know Miele's a big brand as we're saying and you're in the top chair there what has the last 18 months or so taught you about being a business leader hasn't it because it's had everything major crisis management logistics nightmares financial turmoil all the sensitivities of, of, of retail that we've been talking about here but there's also huge issues with people and their welfare and their well-being and what sticks out for you in terms of lessons learned yeah it's been an incredible year i think for any of us and many of my peers in in competitor companies will say the same it's, it's been a privilege to manage a, a big business through this period of time i guess for me I'd worked in some interesting categories before, salmonella in chocolate, glass in coffee jars. And I thought, honestly, I thought I'd seen quite a lot until this crisis. And and fundamentally, what's got us through is some very, very clear principles based on the health and safety of our employees and customers. We've remained guided by government advice, as, as you'd expect. And it's not a but. And we've aimed for business continuity within it. So where we can operate legally in a health and, and, and healthy way, in a safe way, 
and putting our employees and our customers right at the forefront has meant that we've anchored our approach on a daily and even an hourly basis where necessary on the conversations relating to COVID during the last 15 months has really given us a point of continuity. I think what it has done for all of us in this industry is helped us recognise our true heroes, those in the front line who've continued to operate either in operations, stores, spares, warehousing, the engineers that have been out there right the way throughout, and many of us have had to prioritise who they could look after in the last 15 months. And I guess what what else I've learned is just the, the continued need to over-communicate and to engage our employees, to keep people connected. We're, in Mila, we're a heavily values-driven, very connected, driven culture. To separate us has been, and it remains incredibly painful. So the priority has been to, to continue to drive that over-communication, even at the expense of not very much new news, to keep our employees in their comfort zone, to create a buddy system, as an example, during furlough, to keep employees connected with the business as well, and to bring people back as soon as we could. I think the other thing I just mentioned, Andrew, is that we, you know, a personal learning for me about the business is for all of us, and it might be the same with you, by the way, you know, we can be overproductive at the expense of our own mental health and time spent in front of a computer 10 or 12 hours a day with five or six different ways of getting to each other is not always healthy. So I think there's self-discipline and there's looking out for each other that's, that's really been critical. And as we get to a position now, 15 months on, and we're looking forward, a clear vision, clear strategy, getting used to a pace of change where I hear these anecdotes of 10 years changing one you know this doesn't look like it's slowing down the last gfk data for the whole of our category showed last year 86 percent of it being bought online now even if that drops back we're still well ahead of the rest of the year there are some dynamics here which we just have to get used to and as you asked me before we have to manage in partnership with some very very valuable business and business opportunity for us in the in the kitchen and, and the built-in area well, that brings me nicely on to a conclusion here with, with, with looking at what comes next. You know, what plans do you as Mila have for the next 12 months or so? And what are your predictions for the market as a whole? Golly, predictions. Once we're through the bubble, and who knows when that is, personally speaking, I'd expect you know, more normal single-digit growth rates back for the, for the category as a whole. But we've got some catching up to do in terms of kitchen retail opening, the consumer dynamic of working at home and expenditure patterns feels like it's here to stay. So I do think that could we could be into a bubble of you know 12 months or so before we start to see things start to really smooth, I guess, and that volatility start to reduce. So I think that that's the future. And for us as a business, we see significant upside in terms of our growth potential, both in uh, in our total business and in particular in, uh, in the kitchen retail area based on the back of sustained business partnerships. Um, and the Generation 7000 products, which I say, were, it's only just over 18 months ago, we launched, we had the biggest product launch uh, in the history of the company. Uh, fantastic products with food view and taste control, as an example, and the dialogue oven with electromagnetic radiation cooking your food. These are initiatives which have really set the standard for years to come and which we continue to work with kitchen re- retailers on. Yeah, it's so interesting at the moment because it's such a competitive market uh, and you have, mention no names, but you have brands coming out of South Korea now who are really gunning for the big German brands in that built-in appliance sector. For, as an independent observer, it's such an interesting time. Look, John, thanks so much for sparing us some time today. You're very, very busy. No, it's nice to talk. And I, I would say, Andrew, just on the competition piece, competition is good. And I know we're meant to say that because we read it in books, but it does keep us all hungry and it keeps us um, at the forefront of our game. You know, it means that we're all out there with the same intent. And I think we're very lucky in this category and privileged to work with such high quality competitors. So 
I've really enjoyed it and I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. From my point of view, is it, it drives innovation, it drives new products, it drives you know, it drives people to think differently, which is what which is what keeps me interested in this in this whole thing. But look, it's been a pleasure talking to you, John, as always. Uh, I'll leave you to get back to booking your tickets to Joburg for as soon as you're allowed, around about oh I don't know, November, November October, time. November time yeah. when the rain starts. And we'll speak again soon. Perfect. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, John. Well, that was John Pickering. Uh, really interesting views on direct sales, ongoing supply issues. But right now, though, we're all feeling pretty sick here as we're about to decide this whole thing on penalties. Uh, but it's just gone for Italy about 20 minutes into the second half. And, well, you could have written this right from the start, couldn't you? The two teams are both in their huddles down on the pitch in front of us. And virtually every other person in the stadium has such a look of nausea with absolute dread on their faces. What a way to decide an entire tournament. Okay, walking across the pitch is the first up for Italy, who is uh, who is Berardi, I think. Yeah, Berardi. Oh, he scores. Okay, so here comes Kane to take the first one for England. Oh man, this is awful. Well, that keeps us all square. Who's who's that now? Who's that? That's. Uh, that's Bellotti, Bellotti for Italy. Well, Jordan Pickford, he's just been so good this tournament and he might have just won it for us, who knows? Harry Maguire walking across the pitch his head really is massive and here comes now it's Benucci it's Benucci I think Benucci the goal scorer For England next we have walking across Rashford, Rashford. And he only came on about two minutes to go. Oh god, it's such a long walk to the penalty spot. And I've got to say it, right? He's he's not looking confident. Not looking confident. Oh. Oh, it's just a terrible penalty. 
Uh, this is their um, Benedeshi, is that Benedeshi? And here's Sancho for England. He came on with Rashford. Again, he just doesn't look confident. Absolutely huge. Well, this is, this, honestly, this is the first time I've ever done a penalty shoot at a stadium, and this is absolutely sickening. Okay, so if Giorgino scores here, Italy have won it. just said how good the massive Donnarumma was but Pickford who he could probably put in his pocket had an answer too this is just unbelievable it's down to Saka he has to score this to keep us in holy thousands of other very depressed looking England fans and you can probably hear the broken glass under our feet the debris left from the scenes of such celebration and anticipation this afternoon what a metaphor I was hoping this podcast might end on a more positive note but surprising choices for penalty takers but there we go bring on Qatar the podcast has actually taken a two-week mid-season break. Not related to how depressed I feel right now, but just because I need a bit of time off. So I'll be back in a fortnight when, hopefully, we'll have all cheered up. I'll see you then. <laughs>